This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. Today we are moving on to letter number 22 on the futility of halfway measures, which is a letter that is absolutely packed full of really solid wisdom from Seneca. And so, you know, as a result of that, we're probably going to spend maybe four or five episodes on the entire letter. But to set you up for this letter, you'll remember that in the previous letters and episodes that we've been doing here, we've been discussing this theme that Seneca keeps on bringing up, which is removing himself from public life, or if you're inclined to believe that he's actually writing to a person called Lucilius, uh, you know, getting Lucilius to leave his public life and move to a life of philosophy and, and, and kind of solitude, where he's able to have a relationship with his soul that is unhindered by the desires and obligations of the public life. Uh, which which can really get in the way of such a pursuit. And so that's where we kind of start this letter, as you'll see. So uh, he says the following, quote, You understand by this time that you must withdraw yourself from those showy and depraved pursuits, but you still wish to know how this may be accomplished. There are certain things which can be pointed out only by someone who is present. The physician cannot prescribe by letter the proper time for eating or bathing. He must feel the pulse. There is an old adage about gladiators that they plan their fight in the ring. As they intently watch, something in the adversary's glance, some movement of his hand, even some slight bending of his body, gives a warning. We can formulate general rules and commit them to writing, as to what is usually done, or ought to be done. Such advice may be given, not only to our absent friends, but also to succeeding generations. In regard, however, to that second question, when or how your plan is to be carried out, no one will advise at long range. We must take counsel in the presence of the actual situation. End quote. So I'm going to stop here and just focus on these two verses today, because I think that this is a really good example of something that is very characteristic about Seneca's writing, which is uh, his very practical approach to philosophy. You know, you can talk about it all you want. You can write about it all you want. You can have as many rules in your head as you want, right? But in the end, it's all going to come back down to the moment that you're living in right now. What are the particulars of this situation? You know, what advice can you call upon to use it right now? And how can you most effectively and, and, and reasonably move forward in your life uh, in spite of the many challenges that might be up against you? Uh, and in, in spite of the many obstacles that will come your way, you know. So Seneca uh, is always looking to remind us, uh, and I think this is a great example of this, he's looking to remind us uh, that philosophy is a practical game. It's something that has to be used in the moment, otherwise there is absolutely no purpose to it. And, you know, I think that this analogy that he gives us of the gladiator in the ring is really useful to think about when it comes to our practice of philosophy. Because to the gladiator, of course, you know, the theory that they learn, the principles that they learn, the tactics that they learn, 
I mean, it all means nothing when they're in the ring. They've got to be there in the moment. They can't be thinking, you know, well, I've got to use this or I've got to use that. They've got to be looking at the situation with full awareness in that moment. And they've got to be able to call upon the wisdom that they've learned or the strategies that they've learned or the the tools and tactics that they've learned of fighting. Uh, they've got to call upon that in the moment, uh, in a split second, as they're watching the situation and paying close attention. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with philosophy. And Seneca reminds us of this in another letter, which I can't remember now, but I know that he gives us the example of the soldier, how even in peacetime, the soldier is going to be practicing maneuvers. He's going to be practicing these tactics and practicing as if he is in battle so that when the battle does come to him, it's going to be second nature. He's going to be ready. And so I like this idea that Seneca is giving us in this letter, which is essentially, listen, uh, you know, we can write all of the words that we want, we can say all of the words that we want, but you need to be able to look at the realities and particulars of your life in this moment, and you need to be, be able to call upon this wisdom, uh, and, and you need to be able to develop sufficiently your discernment, your wisdom, you know, your reason, your ability to effectively face life and its many myriad of challenges and obstacles that will come your way. And so what we're doing when we're practicing philosophy, when we're learning these principles, is we're trying to get to the stage where these principles come to us in the moment and are useful right now with the realities of this moment. And so this is where I want to bring in another idea that Seneca gave us, which is that he believes that the best way to gain wisdom or to practice philosophy uh, and to really gain some true understanding and knowledge is to pick a teacher who you really admire, who is unquestionably wise, is really living a meaningful life, and you can tell that from the way that they live. And you want to spend as much time with their teachings and their writings and around them as you possibly can. And he says that, you know, as you do that, it's almost like you're specializing, right? And But you're actually going to get somewhere. You're actually going to understand how a true great thinker thinks. You could see that it's potentially what Seneca is doing with somebody like Epicurus, because he spends a lot of time with Epicurus's writings, right? And he obviously spent a lot of time with uh, great teachers when he was younger. Uh, but he believes that if you really want to get somewhere, you have to specialize for a bit. You have to pick a teacher and really learn how they think. And as you're doing that, it doesn't it make sense that you would be almost building a relationship with almost a sage figure in your mind and saying, you know, this is a person who I can call upon for wisdom in the many situations that will face me in your life. You're, you're taking upon a, an apprenticeship that will in turn give you a structure of thought in your mind, not that you have to stick to their way of thinking, but it will show you how a great thinker thinks and you will be able to take those principles into the various situations in your life. And so that's essentially what we are doing here with this series, for example. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get Seneca into our heads. We're trying to get him in there and we're trying to, you know, look into his mind. How does he think? How does he think about certain situations in life? How does he deal with tragedies? How does he deal with temptations? How does he deal with desire? How does he write about these things? You know, because obviously we, we can't be there with him in his life, but, but we can see how he writes about it and how he's working through these problems. And so as we take on this apprenticeship with Seneca, and as we put these things into practice in our lives, we are basically developing that little ability that we have to look at the situation before us and to discern the correct path forward. 
And that is very, very useful. And and, and it, it's just like any other muscle in your body. It's just like any skill that you can develop. You know, wisdom is something that we can practice and get stronger at and get better at. And the idea is that we want to get to that stage, as I said earlier, where the right decision in the right moment in the right time, you know, is almost second nature to us. The the highest ideal of that is the sage. And and ultimately we all understand that we cannot get there, but we at least want to make it stronger and better. And that's what Seneca is essentially, in my view, calling us to in these first couple of verses here. He's saying, I can't advise you on long range. This is all stuff that you're going to need to uh, be able to do in the moment in your life as you face the various situations. So anyway, I hope I've given you a few interesting ideas there to think about. Uh, I really like that idea of the gladiator, you know, just having that view in your mind that, you know, your life is so complex. There are so many different moving pieces in every single moment. Uh, For some people, a lot more moving pieces, for some people less, but you're always going to need that sound discernment in your mind, uh, watching carefully, paying attention. This is what philosophy gives us. It gives us the tools that we can use in the moment, and we can call upon that wisdom in every single situation in our life. And then just thinking about, you know, the reasons why we would take an apprenticeship with a great thinker like Seneca. It's not just for the words. It's not just for the writings. We want to get something out of this. And what we want to get out of it is by the end, we want to have a a, a more sophisticated understanding of how we could live our lives to the best of our abilities, you know, to live the best life we could live and to have sound discernment in each moment so that we can do that. Anyway, again, I hope you've enjoyed this and I will talk to you next time.